pull around. And I went to go hook it up. And uh, as I was, I was hooking the trailer up, I walked around to the side and I saw it's like all these little sprouts of like grass that was growing on the trailer. And uh, yeah, there you go. These little sprouts of grass. And I'm thinking, I started thinking about it. I was like, you know, this lawnmower trailer represents everything bad for grass, right? It, 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 it's, it's like, hey, the grass, the, the lawnmower's coming. Uh, he's, he's, you're going to meet your end. It's like this little piece of grass decides, I'm going to sprout in the most hostile place I can find, right? I'm going to sprout and just kind of wave, wave my fist in your face and say, look, I'm thriving. And, and really did. I, I went to go kind of pull it out and start to pluck this grass out. And I realized kinda, all the way along the, the edge, it had embedded and and had kind of dug in its roots and I was like it wasn't as easy to just kind of uh dislodge and and uh and and pluck out because it had it embedded itself and I started thinking about I said I I think that is a great picture of of this story of Daniel I I believe and uh, it's not just a story of Daniel it's it's God's story of how he used Daniel and uh Three other, three other Hebrew boys, and what God did through uh, his his people during the Jewish exile. And so I want us to look at that over the next few weeks uh, about what that means. What insight can we find from this? Because I think as we get ready to launch, you know, you you've gone to school this week. Uh, many of you started school. Maybe your kids have started school this week. Maybe your kids are getting ready to start school. Uh, I've got one that's getting ready to go to college, you know, and so we've got all these different transitions. August seems like a time of transition. Maybe you're brand new to Richmond Hill. Hey, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Uh, maybe you never thought, hey, I would end up in South Georgia. Why am I here? It's because maybe the military sent me here, and maybe I don't necessarily want to be in this very hot place that has sand mats. Uh, he says, sand mats? Nobody's told us about that yet. Just wait. Just wait. Uh, and anyway, so... <laughs> I don't want to bring you down too bad, but it's but you may be thinking, why am I here? What's what's going on? And 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 in this transition, in this time of just newness, maybe new classrooms, new places of work, new places to live, trying to make new friends. Um, you know, I know for myself, I want wherever I'm at, I want to make a difference. How many of you guys, wherever you're at, you want to make a difference? That's that's what you want. Whatever, wherever God. You set me wherever I'm at. God, I want to make a difference while I'm there. However long I'm there, whatever you've got for me there, whoever I meet there, God, I want to make a difference in that place in people's lives. So the first place I want us to just start with, with this statement, is you can't make a difference unless you're different. You, You can't make a difference unless you're willing to be different. There's, there's got to be some difference about you, and so that's what I want us to look at because I believe this, uh, the book of Daniel speaks to this, and so let's go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 1, and I want to read. I know I'm, somebody's getting nervous. It's like, he's going to read the entire chapter. It's not that long, guys. Just, just hang with me because I, I, I want to set this up. And so let's start in Daniel chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into, the, into his hands and some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar. Now, what is the land of Shinar? The land of Shinar is another way of saying Babylon. To the house of his God. 
and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his, uh, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge and understand, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned to them a daily portion of food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank, and they were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, of the tribe of Judah, and of the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor. I want you to notice this. God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition uh, than the youths who are of your own age. And so you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, he said, test your servants for ten days and let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you, and you deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them and in this manner and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were in better appearance and fatter in flesh. Come on, somebody. Somebody just need that deliverance right there. And fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food <coughs> and wine and gave them uh, and they, the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none of them was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Now I just want to stop right there. And this is a story, I think, that uh, we can look at and understand that sometimes... We can think about the place where we live. We can think about the culture that we're surrounded by. Sometimes we can feel like we're surrounded by people who are hostile to our values, hostile to the things that we care about, hostile to the God that we worship. There are times that in our culture that maybe you've experienced that. Now, down here in the Bible Belt, maybe not so much. But, but as you move into more urban areas, maybe you see that even more. Maybe you feel that even more. And I would say that we sense that even more today than what we did in the past. And so there's a couple different ways. There's a few different ways that we can 
um, respond to this. There's, there's different ways that we can go about uh, saying, hey, I am a believer in Jesus Christ, and this is who I am. Uh, we can take a, a, a picket sign that says, we protest everything that you are, and we can hit them with it, right? We can, <laughs> we can just smack folks with it and say, this is who I am. Uh, that's one way to go about life, right? That's one way to go about it. I'm not saying that's the best way. What I think is this. I think there's wisdom to be found here in Daniel chapter 1 because they were surrounded by a hostile culture. We find right off the bat that King Nebuchadnezzar goes in and lays siege to the uh, city of Jerusalem, to the land of, of Judah. And we find that in 598 B.C. that Nebuchadnezzar goes in and basically uh, destroys Jerusalem, carts off uh, most of the people of Jerusalem. And, and we find in this chapter that we just read that who did he take? He took the, the, the best of the best. He took the nobility. He took the youths. Now, it's interesting. Sometimes we don't understand when we read the story of Daniel and these th uh, three other Hebrew boys that they were teenagers. These guys were probably between the age of about uh, 15, 16, or 17 years old. Now, and then they're being taken from their home. They're being uh, marched about 900 miles to the east of where they live, and they're being put in a new place uh, to live in a new kingdom that is hostile to their faith, that is hostile to the God that they worship. And, and so this is a brand new thing for them. This is a brand new place for them. But how did they respond to this? Now, I think right off the bat we have to see that there's a strategy that the Babylonians employed. <coughs> there are two things specifically that I think that you see going on here. First is, what did they try to do? They tried to change their name, and they did change their name. They changed their names uh, from Daniel, from uh, Hananiah, from uh, Mishael, from Azariah. They changed their names to Babylonian names. And so what did they do? They changed their identity. They had an identity change. The Babylonian strategy was first to change their identity. The second part of that strategy was this, not only to change their identity, but to indoctrinate them into Babylonian culture. We want to show you Babylonian culture. We want you to learn Babylonian language. We want you to learn Babylonian history. We want you to learn how to interpret the stars. We want you to learn all of this, uh, this uh, education that we have. We want you to be educated in the Babylonian way of life. So we want to change your identity, and we want to indoctrinate you until the Babylonian way of life. Now, we see how these guys responded. First off, they changed their name. Let's just look at this real quick. How did they change their name? What did they change their name to? Daniel, if we look at it, Daniel's name means this, God is my judge or God rules me. That's, that's basically what Daniel means. God rules over me. But how did they change Daniel's name? They changed Daniel's name to Belteshazzar, which means Bel protects the king. Baal protects the king. That's what Belteshazzar means. So not, oh, not anymore are you going to be known as God rules over me, but now you're going to be known as Bel protects Nebuchadnezzar right? We want you to start thinking about a different king. We want you to start thinking about a different authority. We want you to start thinking about a different God, and so we're going to call you something else. And, and so this uh, change of identity we see right here with Daniel. The next one we find is Hananiah. Hannah's not, Hananiah's name was changed, and Hananiah, his name means this, God is gracious, but he was changed to Shadrach. And what does Shadrach mean? Shadrach means this, under the command of Aku. Aku is who? 
He is the moon god, right? Aku is the moon god. And so we're going to change your name from God is gracious and God watches over me to now I am under the command of Aku, the moon god. The next one up is Mishael. Mishael is uh, there is none like God. There is none like Yahweh. There is none like God. But when we get look at it, and his name was changed to Meshach, it means there is none like Aku. Do you see this? Like it is a direct, uh, it is a direct confrontation to their identity as children of Israel, as children of God, children of Yahweh. And so it says we're changing everything about you. Then we get to the to the last one. The last name here is Azariah. Azariah. His name meant this. God has helped me. And they changed his name to Abednego, the servant of Nebo. And who is Nebo? Nebo was the Babylonian god of wisdom. That's actually also who Nebuchadnezzar, Neba, Nebo, Nebuchadnezzar is named after too. Nebuchadnezzar uh, had his, uh, his name was basically uh, just a, uh, an homage to his god, Nebo. And so this is how they changed uh, Azaria, uh, Azaria's name to Abednego. So they change their name. They change their identity. They want to indoctrinate them into this way of life in Babylon. And, and I think how they responded was this. They didn't kick back on everything. There were only a few things that they really began to kick back on. They, they said there's no law in the Torah that prevents us from learning the Chaldean language. So we're going to learn the language. We're going to learn the things that they want us to learn. We're going to study these things. We're going we're to gain this knowledge and this insight of this culture. We're going to learn the culture. It's all right. There's nothing in the Torah that prevents us from doing this. But the Torah does prevent them from eating food that is sacrificed to foreign gods, to other gods. And so that's why you have this pushback on, hey, I can't eat the king's food. Because this meat would have been offered to Marduk. This, this meat would have been offered to Nebo. This meat would have been offered to Aku. And so all these, all these other gods that they have, this meat would have been offered to these other gods. And, and that was part of their upbringing. They said, I can't go there. I can't go there. And so they respectfully, what, didn't know how they do that? They respectfully requested, please let us do this for at least 10 days. And, and if we're not better off, you know what, then you can do whatever you want to. But give us at least 10 days, and, and I think we'll be better off. And if we're better off in 10 days and you'll allow us to, to eat the foods that, that we need to eat, um, will you make this deal with us? And they do. They found favor in the eyes of this, uh, this servant of Nebuchadnezzar who is in charge of these boys. And so he allows them this, this, this little bit of favor. And one thing that they did is they, they began to push back just in certain places. And I, I think they understood who they were. So if you don't define who you are, you will default to someone else's definition of who they think you are. If you don't oh, go off the bat and just say, hey, listen, this is who I am. Someone else will put their definition who they think you are, who they want you to be. You'll default to that. And so you got to know who you are. Whether you're a student that's going to high school, middle school, whether you're a student who's, who's launched into your first week here, or whether you're a college student, or whether you're brand new to, to a new job here in this area, and you're looking, you're saying, hey, I'm going into maybe something new. I've got to know who I am. 
I've got to know what it is that I stand for. I've got to know what I believe. I've got to stand by those principles, and I know who God is making me. I know who God is calling me to be, because if not, you may find that you'll default to someone else's definition. One thing that they did was they determined their values. Their values were, were entrusted to them early on. They determined what their values are, and so you have to determine what your values are. So even in the smallest decisions, sometimes it's the small things that we really see the kind of person that we are, right? Sometimes it's in those areas of integrity and character where nobody else is watching you, but you are watching you. It's in those small choices and those small things where we either win or lose the fight. Who are you going to be? Am I going to be the person who cheats and lies and steals? But nobody sees it, so it's okay. It's not okay. You see it. And who else sees it? God sees it. And so when you begin to make those concessions, when you begin to, to uh, compromise in the small things, it actually overflows into the big decisions. There's no way that you can be who you need to be in the big decisions if you don't be who you need to be in the small choices. Jesus said it like this in Luke chapter 16, uh, verse 10. He was talking about the, uh, he, he tells these parables and throughout the Gospels. And, and in the parables, he talks about being a good manager and taking care of your talents. And this is what he said in one of those, in the, the, manager of the, uh, the, the uh, parable of the manager. He says, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. He says, listen, you've got to figure out who you're going to be. You've got to figure out this truth that you hold to. Is it just when somebody's watching or is it when nobody's watching? Is it, is it just when it's convenient for you? Or is it going to be when, you know what, this is inconvenient, I'm going to let this go? What does that look like for you? What values will you hold? You have to determine your values. The second thing that they did, I think, is this. Not only did they determine their values or that the value was given, that value system was given to them, they also directed their affection. Who did they direct their affection to? They continued to direct their affection toward God. Even though, God, I am pulled out of my homeland, even though I am placed somewhere where I don't know really kind of where I'm at, everything is unfamiliar, everything is just kind of strange, and people don't hold the same lifestyle as I do, the same values that I do. God, I know who you've made me, and I am going to continue to give you my heart. I am going to continue to direct my affection to you. So we must determine our values and direct our affection. What did Daniel do? We read in Daniel 1.8. What, what did he do here? But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. Daniel made up his mind. Daniel determined, listen, I'm not going to do this. My affection is toward my God. My affection is not toward Marduk. My affection is not toward Nebo. My affection is not toward Aku. My affection is not toward any of these gods that the, the Babylonians worship. You know what? It's all right. You can tell me the history. I'll learn the history. I'll learn the story. I'll learn the mythology. Whatever you want me to do there, that's fine. I'll learn that stuff, but that doesn't mean I'm going to worship them. That doesn't mean that my heart is directed toward them. My heart is directed toward God alone. And so he resolved in his heart he would not defile himself. And so Daniel, he used his stance, and he used this uh, as an opportunity to build a bridge. He used this. He didn't just pick it, take a picket sign and say, you're bad and you're wrong. What did he do? He did not let the culture consume him. 
so that's that's one thing we can do. We can either let the culture consume us and we just blend in, you know, and then you won't make a difference because you're not different at all, right? You can just let the culture consume you or you can condemn the culture. You can protest everything in every way and everybody knows it and there will be no opportunity for you. But Daniel created an opportunity for contrast. I think I love that. I, don't miss this, guys. Don't miss this. And you say, this, what does that look like? He created an opportunity to say this. He said, listen, you operate like this. Let us, I, we understand what you want from us. You want us to be strong. You want us to be intelligent. You want us basically to be good advisors to King Nebuchadnezzar. That's fine. We can do that. Allow us a little bit of difference, though, in how that looks. Allow us some difference. Allow us some contrast in how we go about this. And that's what he did. They took the opportunity to show that there was a contrast in how they lived and how the culture lived around them. And what happened? They came out looking better. They came out being wiser. They came out being smarter. They came out being stronger. They came out being more beautiful. And it was almost like, wow, this is amazing. It's an opportunity for contrast. So listen, just because you're thrust into a situation, just because you're in a new place, just because you're surrounded by people who don't believe like you, they don't sound like you, they don't look like you, they don't hold your beliefs, and, and you feel like they're hostile maybe to who you are, don't think that God has left you. Actually, God may be planting you right there where you're at, and, and, and maybe you haven't realized it, okay? Maybe you haven't realized that you are there for a reason. You were there because God, because what happened? They didn't wind up in Babylon on accident. I want you to go back and read what the Bible says. The Bible says this, that God handed them over to Nebuchadnezzar. Well, I don't like that. That makes me uncomfortable. What happens when God lets you wind up in a place that is difficult to be? What are you going to do with that? Well, I'm going to pout, and I'm going to complain, and I'm going to get angry, and I'm going to get mad. I'm going to let everybody know it, right? Anybody, you know people like that? They're angry, they're mad, and they're grumpy, and they want everybody to know it. I don't think Jesus wants you to live like that. But I do think Jesus wants you to make a difference. And I think there has to be a difference about you. And there was a difference about these young men. And there were things where they said, yep, this is, this, this is a point right here where I can't compromise on this. I can't let this go. I have to be who I am. So how am I going to do that? I'm going to create an opportunity to show a contrast. I'm going to create an opportunity to build a bridge so that someone sees there's a difference and the difference is good. Guys, that's what we get a chance to do. We can point at the world around us and say, look how bad they are. I would rather point at the God above me and say, look how good he is. You have to change where you're pointing your direction, where your affections are. If you're only looking out and you're angry and you're mad and you're just complaining about everything and you're grumpy, and that's how they see Christians a lot of times. Let's just be honest. Let's just be honest. That is not what God calls us to. It's not what he called his children in Babylon to. And, and, and in that, that place, in Babylon, what you'll find is this, that at, at about the end of 70 years, they got a chance to go back. 
there were about 40,000 people that went back to Jerusalem. You know how many people stayed? About 80,000 people stayed. Because what they began to find was they could make a difference in that place. And I love the idea that later on that Daniel, Daniel rose in the ranks. He just began to excel and this pagan king sees it and begins to promote him. He begins to be promoted in a pagan society. He didn't, he didn't stop being who he was, right? He knew who he was. He knew who his God was, right? But even in service to this pagan king, he begins to rise in the rank. And what do we find is this, as we find that later on in the story, later on, when you fast forward to the New Testament, Many, many, many years later, hundreds of years later, you get to the story of Jesus' birth. You get to the story of Jesus' birth. And, and we see it, the story of Jesus' birth. We get to Christmas stories, right? And we got the shepherds, and we got the angels, and the heavens are open, and people singing. You know, there's donkeys and cows there, and everybody's happy, right? Who else shows up? The wise men, the magi. Who are the magi? Where did they come from? The magi were Persians. The Magi actually came from where Daniel lived. Somebody somewhere planted a seed a long time ago that allowed some people that lived in that area to begin to look for a new king. And they began to look for a new kingdom. And you know what? They found him. And that's the same impetus that we're given. That's the same, that's the same call that we're given to invite people of a different faith to invite people of different values different beliefs to come see that we have a God that is so much better we have a God that calls us to a lifestyle that is so much better it's free we don't have to be grumpy all the time right you might need to check your Christianity if that's what it looks like if you're grumpy all the time and angry all the time you may not be a Christian okay I'm just, I'm just saying you might need to check that but if there's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness that's the fruit of the spirit that's what comes when you're in love with God and that he begins to pour out his love on you. He says, I want you to begin to reflect who I am to those around you. And you begin to overflow into their life in a good way, in a good way. So I love this. There's a guy by the name of James Stockdale. Um, James Stockdale, some of you guys may know who this guy is. James Stockdale was a naval aviator. He was shot down over Vietnam uh, in the late 60s, and um, he spent seven years as a POW. He spent seven years uh, in the famous Hanoi Hilton, right? And so he was tortured. He was beaten. Um, he was actually the highest ranking uh, uh, person to be shot down um, and, and served as a POW. And so he took it upon himself really to just kind of model this for the other prisoners. He says, listen, we're not bending. We're not breaking, right? I'm not giving up information, uh, they can beat me, and he had his legs broken twice. They would put him in a room. The room that he was in was a room that was three feet by nine feet. That was, that was as much space as he had, and he was isolated, and they were put in a special place because of who he was. He was put in a special place in isolation. And so he took every chance that he could just to continue to model uh, to those who were with him as POWs, hey, this is who we are. Don't forget who we are. And they asked him once. They asked him this question. They said, how did you survive? I love what he said. He said, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never lost faith in the end of the story. Guys, that's us. Let us never lose faith in the end of the story. You know the end of the story? 
You know what the end of the story says? We win. <laughs> we win. That's the end of the story. The end of the story. No matter what it looks like right now, no matter how hostile it may seem, no matter what that feels like right now, the end of the story says we win. And so this is the last thing I, I, I put down. God is not nervous. God is victorious. Our God is not nervous. Oh, my goodness, they're living in a place where they're going to be challenged. Oh, man, God's not shaking in his Nikes, right? He's, he's, his knees are not knocking. We don't have a God that is afraid. We have a God that is victorious. We have a God that holds the beginning and the end in his hand, and he sees everything in between, and he says, I will be with you, and I will give you everything that you need. And although it, you may not be exactly where you think that you want to be right now, it's all right. You can still not just survive in Babylon. You can thrive in Babylon. I'm going to ask somebody to come play. So I want you to stand with me this morning. And I want you to think about this. How, how does my life reflect the God that I say I love? How does my actions, my speech, my attitudes, how does all that speak about the God that I say that I serve and love and I the God that I say that is love? What does that testimony that you live out say about the God that you serve? Does it say that the God that we serve is scared of the culture around us? Is the God that, that we serve scared of the challenges of the other beliefs around us? I never find that in the Scripture. I never find that in Scripture. Actually, what I find in Scripture is this, that every time there is a foreign God, a false God, God steps to the challenge. You see that when Israel came out of, uh, came out of Egypt, one of the first places that they stopped was this mountain that was supposed to be another God's mountain, right? It was called uh, by the name, it was called by the name of, the, of another God. And so that is the first place that they stopped. And what happens? The true God, the real God, descends on that mountain in flames and fire and says, let's go ahead and start confronting all the false gods around. Let's show people who the true God is. Because I'm the God that loves you, Israel. I'm the God that will be with you, Israel. And this is it. It, it wasn't that God was just playing favorites. It wasn't just saying, hey, I, I'm choosing Israel because, man, I love Israel so much and everybody else can just go to hell. Right? That's not what he said. Sometimes that's how we live. No, what God told them was this. What did he say? He says, I'm going to bless you, and you are going to be a blessing. I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be a blessing. I'm going to overflow into you so much, Israel, that when you are in the middle of a culture that doesn't like you, doesn't love you, doesn't understand you, I am going to overflow into you so much that you're going to overflow into them and they're going to see the difference. They're going to see the difference. They're going to see the change. That's what he calls us to. So bow your head this morning. Lord, we come to you now. And... I know there are things that we're challenged by. There are people who will push us. They'll push our buttons. They will push us to want to respond with anger. 
But Lord, you've called us to so much better. You've called us to be people to show that there is a difference. Which means we have to be a different kind of person. We have to be a different kind of people. We can't just fade into the background. We can't just fade into the culture. But Lord, I pray that we're able to show that there is an opportunity to create a contrast. That there is an opportunity to build a bridge that shows that there is a difference and there is a contrast and the difference is good and the difference is better. So Lord, I know there may be questions that we have about where we're at, where we're working, where we're going to school, what does that look like, things that we're challenged by. Lord, give us the strength. Help us to see who we are, who you've called us to be. Help us to double down. No matter, no matter what they try, what definition they try to put on us, Lord, we've already been defined by you. You are the one who has defined who we are. Our identity, Lord Jesus, is lost in you. So help us to be seen as you. Help us to reflect who you are. Lord, that when people see us, they, they really don't see us, they see you. Help us to be that reflection in our speech, in our attitude, in our responses. Lord, and when we haven't gotten it right, forgive us and help us to do better. Help us to be a better reflection. Maybe that image that we've reflected hasn't been a good image of you. Help the image to be a better reflection of who you really are. Because, God, you're not scared and you're not nervous, and we shouldn't need to be either. We don't have to be nervous or scared because you are the God who is victorious. You are the God who reigns. You are the God who loves us. You are the God who will walk with us. You are the God who will equip us with everything that we need to be the people that you're calling us to be. So, Lord, that's what we commit to now.